Hey, welcome to the Portrait Church Podcast. Pastor Jay here, and I'm excited for you to listen to this message as part of our vision series here at Portrait Church. I hope these messages give you insight into how we as a church are going to follow and live the lifestyle of Jesus. If you would love to know more about our church, you can visit portrait.church online or find us on social media or find us at the Mitten Building on Sundays. Hope you enjoy this message and hope to see you soon. Hey, if you uh, would um, open your Bibles to Genesis 1. Now, I just thought like, man, it is, it is the grand opening service. Like the number one question I get this week is like, what are you going to talk about? What are you going to talk about? It's a, you only got one shot. No pressure, right? And just as I began to think and consider, why not start from the very beginning with the first subject, with the first being, and talk about how he has designed us and designed our portraits to live. And so if you would, in Genesis 1, it says this starting in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. In the very beginning, in the very first verse, in the very first book, in the very first chapter, it says, in the beginning, God if you can believe those few words, you could actually believe the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Here's what we need to know. Every great designer, every great creator had to start with something. Thomas Edison, he needed material. He needed an electrical power source. He needed a glass bulb to invent and create the light bulb. Alexander Graham Bell, he needed a transmitter, a receiver, an electrical current, and many more things to make the telephone. Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci, he needed a canvas. He needed paintbrushes. He needed tools. He needed a woman by the name of Lisa <laughs> to take one of the most invaluable pieces of art known as the Mona Lisa. Walt Disney, he needed a mouse and a duck and a dog, and he created wonder. And my late grandma Sadie Amos needed sweet potatoes, butter, sugar, more butter, more sugar, some eggs, some milk, and an ingredient that I am not going to tell you about because that's our family's, not yours, to make what we know as her most famous sweet potato pie. Every single person who has created something on earth has needed something. 
the first subject, in the very first sentence, in the very first chapter, in the very first book, God. He looks out. And as the Reverend Charlie, Reverend Charlie Date says, he looked out and saw nothing. He looked out and stepped on nothing. He looked out and he spoke to nothing and nothing began to create into something. He didn't need anything because he is God. Because he stands outside of any category that you can put him in time, matter, and space. He created it all by the speaking of his voice. And so he steps out and he speaks and all of a sudden light appears. He steps out and he speaks and all of a sudden you just, water is separated from the ground and you have water and dry land. He speaks and, and he flings out what we know as over a hundred billion stars. What did he start with? Nothing. He speaks and things come into existence. And all of a sudden, y'all, something changes. He doesn't speak and say, and let there be human. Notice what he does. He, it, it's, it's the meeting of the council. He is stopping to ponder, and he uses this language of us and our. You see, what we as followers of Jesus know as the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's a meeting of the most wise minds. And they're pausing creation to say, how are we going to create mankind? Let us consider, you know what, better yet, let us make them in our image, in our likeness. And so he makes it in his image. He says, I want you to rule. And then what he does is he, he doesn't speak. He gets, it, 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 it's he gets the dust. And he begins to, to form humanity. And then he breathes his life into the nostrils of man, giving him not just spirit, but a soul and a body. Remember, let us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are not just a body, you are a soul. You are not just a soul, you are a spirit. God has given things inside of the emotions that you feel. Isn't it good that we don't have a God who just created robots, who don't know how to feel, who don't know how to experience love? He said, I want to make you in my image. And in Genesis 2, 7, it says, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And it is then at that moment that man became a living being. God looks at all of what he created and resoundingly he says, oh, that's good. Not just that's good, that's really good. The one who creates everything, the one who holds the standard and the objective definition for what good is. He looks at everything and he looks at humanity and says, oh, that is good. So good. And here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity makes the bold claim that there is a God who created a world where everything was good. It was full of peace, harmony, stability, wholeness. Don't y'all want that? He created not by accident. He created not out of necessity. 
He was, he was a, the, the reason why this, this word Trinity is so important in Christianity is because God was already existing in community. He, it, it was so good. So, so he, because it was so good and what you, know, what you and I know about goodness, goodness just has to be shared. It has to. It can't be good if you're not going to share it, right? Like, I'm not going to tell you to go to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles if I have not experienced the goodness of that waffle. What I'm not going to do is tell you to go to church's chicken because, y'all, you're going to come out not, you're going to come out needing to go to church because you're going to need to be delivered. If you work for church's chicken, I apologize. Here's the thing. God was already in perfect unity, but he intentionally created because he had beauty in mind. He intentionally created because he had intimacy and connection in mind. He created out of joy, not necessity, not accident. It was so good. Everything he created was so good. He's like, oh, I just need people to experience this. You see, God is after goodness. God is after Glory. American author and cultural critic, Neil Postman, he writes this in an article titled Science and the Story That We Need. He is not a professing Christian. He says, in the end, science does not provide the answers most of us require. The story of our origins or, or, or end, to say the least, unsatisfactory. To the question, how did it all begin? Science answers probably by accident. And to the question, how will it all end? Science answers probably by accident. And to many people, the accidental life is not worth living. You, you hear that? The accidental life is not worth living. Here's the thing. We know how it begins. God, we know how it's going to end. Us before God, every tribe, tongue, and nation, nation worshiping him. You this is one of the best things I love about the Inland Empire, the love about all of those who have decided to come here and worship is we get a glimpse of the end. We get a glimpse. If you were to look around and see what I see, it's every tribe, tongue, and nation, and age, and socioeconomic status. This is what we prayed for, y'all. We prayed for a church that not only would reflect our community, but would reflect the end. And this is why every desire and question that lies deep in the heart of man and human being is answered in this text. Questions like, do I even matter? Do I have a purpose? Am I loved? And scripture and God give us all a resounding yes. You matter. You are loved. You have a purpose. When God, the master artist, creates human beings, when he created every single one of you, when he made your portrait, he said it was good. You are his masterpiece. Majesty is in your portrait. And images are supposed to image. You catch that? Images are supposed to image. And he's saying that I created you so that you would image me to a watching world who's watching how we live who's watching what we do with our money, who's watching what we do with our time, who's watching how we act on social media, who's watching us how we work in the workplace, who's watching us how we behave and live in the classroom. This world is watching and God's like, I created you and you are good and I need you to image me. To image me. 
you know, in September, January, oh, June, oh man, I got so many kids. June, <sighs> there was someone was like, how old your kid? I'm like, which one? Like, I got to do the math. And I'm like, finally, I got June 2017. Our daughter, India, was born. And that was one of the greatest moments of my life. I sat there and, you know, they, they took her over, cut the umbilical cord. And my wife is like, yo, like, because she hasn't seen her yet. She's like, what does she look like? How is she? And I'm like, you know, I did what every good, responsible husband should do. She is beautiful. She looks just like you. She looks just like you. And then the time came for the nurses to bring her over. And, and my wife is like, oh, my God, she's beautiful. Babe, she looks just like you. What are you talking about? She looks like me. It's like, I think, to be honest with you, I was overwhelmed with the fact that my daughter was imaging me. There was something sacred about that. Something so, so good about that moment. Can I tell you what I didn't say to my daughter when she was first born? Man, you beautiful, but you a, you a sinner. You need God. You are just hell bent on being bad. You know, when I was about the age of probably just before preteen, my dad would take me to, at the time, it was the Great Western Forum of the greatest team in all sports, the Los Angeles Lakers. But that's beside the fact. It's beside the fact. We're, we're talking about God's goodness, remember? Okay, besides the fact. And I remember I would walk up to the arena with my dad and I would see Christians with signs. And I would hear this message of, you are a dirty sinner, repent and go to hell. And I'm like, or, or go to hell. And I'm like, whoa, what is going on? I'm just walking. I'm just trying to meet Kobe. I'm like, what is this message? Like, the first thing that you want to tell me as a stranger is that I'm going to hell. And I find that it's very curious that most Christians and Christianity and churches start with Genesis 3 when God starts with Genesis 1. You catch that? We're going to get in a minute, which it is important. Hear me. Don't be going out talking in the streets. Parcher, don't believe in sin. Nah, I'm not, not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if God started in Genesis 1, why can't we? If God started in Genesis 1 with what was good, why can't we talk about what's good? It's a very curious strategy. Because the foundation of what the story that God wants you to know is that you are created with dignity and you are created for dominion. You are created with dignity and you are created for dominion. Dignity means that you just have inherent value in you. It's embedded. It don't matter how dumb you are. It don't matter if you, it don't matter how like bad you act. It don't matter all the negative things. You have inherent dignity and no one can take that from you. So if you're searching it in relationships, in status, in ambition, in work, in being a mom, in being a dad, in having a business, in being a leader, if you're searching it in all those things, can I tell you, it's not going to match the inherent dignity that you already have. When you woke up this morning, God said that you were good, that how he created you was good. You woke up with goodness. But so often we wake up thinking that we need to, we've been given a message that we need to perform somehow our way into goodness. You have value because God says you have value. And he says that you are loved. 
And then the question comes, if you have purpose, and it's answered right here, yes, because he gave you dominion. This word dominion, it, it, it means exercising control, to have influence over someone or something. And what God is after, and when he's talking about dominion, is he's after his glory. He's saying, I want y'all to image me and how you live your life, how you work, how you raise your family, how you live out of your singleness, how you go to school. All these opportunities are an opportunity for you to image me. I'm giving you control. I'm giving you opportunities. I'm giving you influence. So the question that we need to ask ourselves today is who are we imaging? Who are we imaging? When people see your life, when people see how you live, they're going to ask a question. Who is forming you? Because the reality of our social media age is, I would beg to, to say that many of you are being formed into an image that, that is diminishing your dignity. And it's diminishing your dignity because you're trying to find purpose. You're trying to find, uh, you're trying to find value in things that God did not say you would find it there. And so he's saying, I want y'all to image me. I want y'all to portray me. How you rule, how you live, I want that to be evidence that there is a God and that he's good. But here's the problem. The very first humans, they got a shot at this. They got a shot. And this, how they responded to this situation has now been embedded in all of humanity. You see, God creates Adam and Eve, and again, he's like, it's good. And, and Adam, when he saw Eve, he was like, yo, this is good. <laughs> and he creates him in the garden. And he gives them the freedom to choose how they're going to use their dominion. He tells them that all the trees, all of this is good, except this one. And, and here's, again, God knows nothing but goodness. The goodness of God's design is that he gives you an opportunity to choose to love him. Like, ladies, have you ever been pursued by, by a man that you did not want pursuing you? Some of y'all here at church today, because you're like, Jay, he's sitting right next to me. I'm praying this is going to be the, I'm praying this is going to be the one time. He's going to get it. But have you ever been pursued by a man who just, who, 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 who wouldn't let you say no? And he wouldn't, wouldn't let you say, no, he's, you, you are going to let, you know what we call that? We call that an abuser. That's not this God. He creates all goodness and all things. And he says, I'm going to give you a choice. I want to give you a choice to love me, to choose me. But, can, but the world that I created for you, it's good. But just, don't, just that one, just that one, everything. Just that one, just that one, that little one right there. No, no. And so what do they do? He's defined what is good. He's told them that they have dignity. And all of a sudden in Genesis 3, oh man, it says now the serpent, who we know as, as Satan, he comes onto the scene and the very first thing that he does is he says to Eve, did God really say? Y'all, there's layers to this. What he is doing in Eve is he's creating doubt. He's creating doubt because God had defined, remember, everything that was good. And now all of a sudden, the Satan comes onto the scene. And he's like, oh, hold on. Did he really say that though? Oh, 
Like, what I wish Adam would have done in this moment is step up. Oh, you mean the guy who spoke and, and, and stars existed? Oh, you mean the guy who spoke and, like, something came out of nothing? You mean the guy who spoke and light just automatically appears? That guy? Oh, yeah, he said it. And he said it was good. He doesn't say that. He sits back as doubt is created. And that's one of the enemy's greatest tactic that he has against your life and mine is he wants you to doubt the goodness of God. The very first thing, he wants you to doubt the goodness of God. And so as Adam wakes back, they go, Eve responds, and it's like, yeah, he said all oh, this is good. He said not to do this. And now he goes for the ultimate. He says, no, 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 Eve, you will not die. He creates now deception. What, what he's saying in this moment is like, no, 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 God's lying to you. He's holding out on you. You're not going to die. And so this deception ruins the design. And now we have in verse 6, it says this, chapter 3. It says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit. She ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Doubt coupled with deception led them to disbelief. From this very moment, God's perfect, harmonious Shalom, this peace, this design of goodness was shattered in this moment because they decided that they were not going to believe what God said. And this, yes, they have dignity, this nature, this embedded dignity inside of them, but now they have an embedded disbelief, an embedded posture that says, yo, is God actually good or is he holding out on me? Notice, oh, this is great. Notice in verse six, how Eve says that she saw that the tree was good for food. And I find it very ironic and fascinating that she saw good things in the very thing God said would kill her. Eve saw good things in the very things God said would kill her. And it didn't matter how good the tree looked. You know what mattered? What did God say about the tree? Eve, what did God say about the tree? God said that you would die. Even though it looks good to you, God said you would die. How can, I practically, how can we practically apply that? We live in a culture that loves to make you believe that you can decide and define what goodness is. We live in a culture that wants you to define what goodness is. That if it feels good, it must be good. If it's making me more money, oh, it must be good. If it makes me more comfortable, if I move here, then it must be good. If it's not harming anybody, well, then it must be good. Well, did we ever ask a question, but what if it harms God? Did we ever ask a question, what if that was not God's design of what he said? What if it wasn't that? Because the design was meant for human flourishing. The design was meant to image the creator. The design was meant to rule with goodness. A design of full 
harmony. And the only person who has the right and the only person who has the authority to define what is good is God. Because there is not one thing in him that is not good. And to be honest with you, this whole idea of giving people a renewed picture of, of this God, this creator, this Jesus, and the church is often because what I'm noticing and what we have noticed in society today, and I'm, and I'm just going to speak to Christians here, is that some of our Christian siblings have created ministries and platform of dominion by saying that they are pursuing good, but all the meanwhile, they're dehumanizing other people. And some of you are investing into that. You're liking those things, that you're sharing those things. And just because a Christian says it's good, but what if it's harming God? What if it's harming the very people who he said were created in his image that he gave dignity to? There's arms of Christians building domains of dehumanizing what God called the Imago Dei. The people that were made in my image. One of the main problems with disbelief that was created in this moment is often as a Christian, again, speaking to just Christians for this moment, that, that you are so capable in following God that that you are so smart, you read your Bible. You've been to church. But the problem with that is this world, you've created a little bit of pride and self-sufficiency. You've created some self-reliance that you can define. How many of us as followers of Jesus spend, spend time in God's presence just saying, God, how is it that you define how I should live right now? How is it that you should define how I should treat these people right now. And one of the main things that happens when we disbelieve God is that we begin to pursue dominion that is abusive. We begin to pursue dominion that is prideful. We begin to pursue dominion that has had this ripple effect of sin that is still going on in the world today. Why do you think things like racism still exist? It's because people are defining what is good, even Christian folks. One of the saddest things happened recently, if you're familiar and, and around this community, is someone in the name of Jesus, as a follower of, of him, would go up to Lake Arrowhead and would shoot a woman simply because she does not believe the same things. That this man is so demonic that he would take a gun to the Imago Dei. This woman who has inherent dignity, I don't care if we don't believe the same things, you have inherent dignity because God gave it to you. How I live and how I rule is to pursue that goodness, but it's not to dehumanize you. And so we as followers of Jesus and we as, as Portrait Church, I mean, it's in our name. The reason we have the name portrait is because we believe that Jesus is the head of the church. Most portraits are a representation of someone's face. So what we want to do is represent him. And every single one of your portraits is made in his image. So how we love you is a direct reflection of how we're loving God. And so we have to understand that as followers of Jesus, that when we trust in ourselves more than we trust God, that our dominion 
begins to, be, to start to malfunction. Because it's said in the text that, that we are made in his image and likeness. It means we are to function like him. And if we're not fully believing and sitting in the reality of how he calls us to live, then we will malfunction. The other main thing that Adam and Eve forgot, and something that I think you and I forget, is that God gave us dignity, he gave us dominion, but we came from dust. He gave us dignity, he gave us dominion, but we came from dust. What does that mean? You didn't create yourself. You came from dust. You couldn't tell yourself to get up and breathe and walk and live. He had to do that for us. The, what, one of the most prideful things that we as Christians can do is that we can wake up and think that it is us who enables us to breathe. It is us who enables us to live. That it is us who enables us to, to have dominion and to work and to rule and to go to school. It is us. Every day is a gift. And when you realize that you came from dust, oh man, that should change the way you worship. That should change your posture of humility. That should change the very thing, the very thing that you do with your dominion. It should lead us to understand that you and I are not in control. And one of the consequences, Genesis 3 and verse 19 says, that by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. One of the consequences of this fall of humanity and sin was that we will return to dust. That's one of the questions that people struggle with most, right? What happens to me when I die? There's a fear around that. It's because there's a harsh reality that something is now broken in the world. This should lead us to take the posture of Moses when he says in Psalm 90, 12, teach us God, help us number our days. Because we're gonna, life is, a, life is like that. God, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. For yes, we came from dust and yes, we were returned to dust. But in the meantime, God, I wanna live and bring you glory. As followers of Jesus, we are to domain with humility. We are to domain with goodness and love at the forefront of our mission. And one of the main problems that Adam and Eve had with this disbelief is thinking that God is holding out on them. And maybe you are here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. And part of the reason you won't call yourself a follower of Jesus is because you believe God has held out on you. You believe that, man, Jay, you talk about all this goodness, but I have not ever seen God that God be good in my life. So help me understand, what, how am I supposed to make, make sense of this? And even as followers of Jesus, I think it's in this social media-driven world, is that you could be so content with God until you see what Susie got. You could be so content with God until you see the promotion that he got. You could be so content with God until you see, wow, they had another kid. Oh, wow, they got a bigger house. You could be so consent, con, content with God until you see things, created things, and you say, oh, man, you know what? God must be holding out on me. I don't have that. And then all of a sudden, you start basing what you deserve off of how well you perform. Instead of knowing that the goodest thing, I don't even know if that's a word, the best thing, <laughs> 
My wife's like my uh, grammar police. So after some sermon, she's like, yo, it was great, but like that word didn't belong in that sentence. And I'm like, well, we just going to have to use Ebonics here, babe. We're going to have to figure it out. Here's the thing. What if God has taken time to deliver you because he has glory in mind? What, what if God has actually, he's allowed you to choose to design your life how you want, and he's letting it get so bad because when the miracle happens, it's not going to be by your hand. It's going to be by his. What, you see, the thing is, again, with the world wanting you to create and design your own life, we have to understand that there are repercussions of that because the goodness of the world does not last. But the goodness of God, he said, that's eternal. It lasts forever. And as followers of Jesus, if you are in the room, we have to understand and we have to image that God is more concerned with us becoming like him than he is us being comfortable. He's more concerned every day a little more like Jesus. He's more concerned with us imaging him than even being successful according to the American dream. He's more concerned with that. He's more concerned with producing greater humility in us so that when we do rule, that when we do domain, domain, that people see him. Because what happens when we don't pursue humility? Listen, see what Adam and Eve did. They had to fashion fig leaves to their bodies because they traded dignity for shame. They had to fashion fig leaves to their bodies. And so my question is, what have you replaced your dignity for? What are the fig leaves that you have sown on your life? You see, I find it interesting that clothes that we wear often represent a few things. I think one of the things as we think about the clothes that we wear, it, it represents what we lost. It represents the fact that there was something so perfect and peaceful that we lived without suspicion that we didn't need to cover up. And when the sin entered the world, clothing represents that you and I often pursue covering ourselves with things that God did not intend to cover us. So you sow fig leaves of power. You sow fig leaves of status, of ambition. You sow fig leaves of, of, of being these amazing parents or these amazing students or these amazing... You sow fig leaves of things that you think will make you look good and cover you, but in reality, they don't. You're just covering your shame. And you know what I love about the goodness of God? There's this old age old saying that God is good all the time, all the time. God, oh, so we got a few church folks in here. You know what I love about that? It's because in this very moment when humanity, when God gave them this incredible creation, in this very moment when they chose to sin, when they broke the, the, the perfect relationship, when they broke peace, look at what God does in verse 21. It says, the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. I, I read that so many times before, I didn't get it, but I, I finally got it. That even in the midst of your sin and your shame, God can clothe you better than you can clothe yourself. What he does is he takes the very creation and he, he has to kill something in order to close you. Does that sound familiar? 
in this very moment, he did not have shame that he was trying to attack. He let them know the consequences of their sin, but he still decided to clothe them because he had dignity in mind, because he had love in mind. Oh my gosh, how would that change the way that we as Christians who call ourselves followers of Jesus lived in this life? When we saw people who sinned, when we saw people who did crazy things and we didn't necessarily see them just for their sin, but we also made sure to see their dignity and that we would clothe them with compassion, that we would clothe them with mercy, that we would clothe them with love because God did that for us. We have sinned against a righteous God and he knows how to clothe us better. Not only does he know how to clothe us better, but he was so committed, he was so good to you and I that in this very moment, he made a promise to the enemy. Oh, okay, you thought you had it over. Well, one day someone is gonna come and crush you. And God is so good and he's so committed to goodness. He's so committed to you that even in this moment of sin, he had a rescue mission all lined up. Oh, the plan had just started. And the issue was that for years and decades, no one could fully domain like God. And so all of a sudden, God's like, you know what? Once again, let me show you what goodness is. Let me show you how to rule and reign. Let me send my son. And he sends his son because he wanted us to have another example of how we should live, how we should lead. And notice what Jesus does. Everyone's, everyone's heard about this savior that's coming, but he doesn't come in the way that they thought he would come. Everyone's thinking he's gonna come as this glorious king, riding on these white horses, trumpets. Nah, fam. Fam means family. It's short for family. I just wanna make sure y'all didn't think I was like cussing at you or something, right? Nah, look. He comes as a suffering servant. He comes to give dignity to women and children who were not dignified in that time. He came to give dignity for the outcast, for the oppressed, for the lame, for the sick, the people on the margins. He came to restore dignity because he wanted us to know what it looked like to domain. Why did, that is why we're so obsessed with Jesus. We're so obsessed. We want you to see him. We want you to be with him. We want you to become like him. We want you to do what he did because we were meant to image him. A great pastor uh, by the name of Corey Russell, he says that the church should be the place where believers restore dignity to people who have lost it in the world. And he says, one of the greatest issues confronting America is not what's happening in D.C. It's not what's happening in any governmental centers. The greatest crisis that he believes is happening in America is that the church is bored with Jesus. The church is bored with Jesus. We're so competent. We're so capable. We could design our own life. Just open up your phone. You could figure out everything you probably need to do and want to do and how to do it. But when the church becomes bored with Jesus, they don't end up domaining like Jesus. They don't end up leading like Jesus. They don't end up living like Jesus. That's why portrait was so important for us because yes, we want to look at Jesus, but we also want to look at you. 
Because there's inherent dignity and value that God, again, has given to you. And if we want to live and lead like Jesus, that that means that we restore dignity. Some of you, as we have got a chance to hear your stories in this whole um, preview season, have been so hurt by the church. The church has done damage to, to your dignity and dehumanized you. You haven't experienced goodness from the church. And again, we are, we're so sorry. But also, as we want to restore that dignity, we want to point you to how to domain, how to lead with goodness. Because what happens is, and what has happened often in all of history, is that the abused end up potentially becoming an abuser. Because you're so upset and so frustrated by the lack or the abuse that, again, we have to position our eyes towards what's good. We have to. God's glory is at stake. And the thing about God is he knows that you and I are not going to do this perfectly. That's why he sent his son. Amen? He knows that we were not going to do it perfectly. He's not saying, yo, I need y'all to, I need y'all to perfectly handle this. At the end of his great Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus says is, he says, those who practice these things. Notice he says, he didn't say those who perform these things and do these things. Those who practice these things will be like the man who builds his house. And when the winds and the waves and the, and everything's come crashing down, your house stands. Not because you did it perfectly, because you practice my way. God knows you're not perfectly going to domain, and he understands that. But the goal is to practice to be formed by Jesus. We want some of you to have a renewed picture of who he is, to open your eyes and heart in ways that you have not before, to sit in the wonder of this good God creating this this, this world and creating you, the, and he said it was good. And the, the, we want you to actually live into the inherent value that God has placed on your life. There was a Navy man by the name of Elgin Staples. And as he was serving, a Japanese torpedo had ripped a hole through his cruiser. And the only thing keeping him alive in the water was this rubber life belt cinched across his waist. Eight hours bobbing on the water. Eight hours. And this life belt is the only thing saving him. And he notices on this life belt that there are a sequence of numbers. I mean, he's out there for eight hours, so he's like, what else am I going to do? So he's sitting there, he's reading these numbers, and then all of a sudden he gets rescued on that eighth hour. And as he's flying back to his hometown of Akron, Ohio, he realizes that as he sees on this life belt, Firestone Fire and Tire Company, Akron, Ohio. True story. I'm not one of those pastors who's just making up. Y'all could could Google me. Y'all could Google me. Fact check me. It's fine. But as he gets off this plane, he heads home, and he's recalling this story, and he's retelling this story to his mom. And his mom is sitting there with great intention, and and she's looking there with a a, a level of focus because she's like, yo, that's Firestone Fire and Tiger. That's where I work. And she goes, tell me me about this belt. He's like, "I, I won't tell you about it. I kept the belt. 
There's a picture of the belt. I think we, we might have that belt. So he, he takes out the belt and, his, and he's like, Ma, you know, you work there. Can you, I, there's this weird sequence of numbers. Can you tell me about these sequence of numbers? And she goes, son, yeah, we have these sequence of numbers there because that is how we keep people accountable to them inspecting and creating these belts. She's like, read the numbers to me. He's like, yeah, I got it. He starts reading off the numbers and then tears start falling down his mom's face. She says, that's my belt. I created that belt. I made that belt. I inspected that belt. Isn't it fascinating how the one that created him was the one that sustained him? When he was out in the middle of the waters, hanging on to a thread by his life, it would be his mom's belt that would sustain him. Can I tell you that we serve a God who loves you, who created you, and he sent his son to die for you so that he can sustain you. That when you are out in the middle of life, when you are floating there, when you are potentially drowning and seeking, that he has given you his son. That he, that he is giving you a sequence that has been paid for by the blood of his son that will sustain you. That this dignity that you have is so valuable that God saw you so valuable that he would give up his most valuable thing. And he would send his son to die for you because he has glory in mind. The one who created you, the one who had the first word is gonna be the one that will sustain you and have the last word. And so this morning, I wanna invite you on a journey. I wanna invite you on a journey of being part of a brand new church that wants to give people a renewed picture of who Jesus is that wants to give people a renewed picture of who the church is, that wants to restore dignity, that wants to pursue to live in domain with goodness. And some of you here have decided and tried to design your life the way that you want it. You've been told that you can define what is good and what is true, and you've tried, and God has allowed you to get to a place where there's nothing else. And, you real, and when you get to that place of realizing that God is all you have, you realize that God is all you end up needing. And he's trying to call you to that place right now. And he wants you to make a decision to say, you know what? I came from dust, but there's a designer who didn't need anything that when he created me and we created all things, he said it was good. And for the first moment of your life, I want you to experience his goodness today. And for those of you who would call yourselves followers of Jesus, but if you were to look at all the things you're giving your attention to, you were to look at all the things that are forming you, that you are domaining not in the name of the kingdom, you are domaining in the name of Fox News, you are domaining in the name of CNN, you are domaining in the name of fill in the blank, and God wants you to domain in the name of the kingdom. The kingdom of the suffering servant who came to restore dignity, 
who came to restore the image of God that is instilled inside of every single one of you. And so today I wanna invite you on that journey. We are humbled that you are here. Oh man, we thank God. But at the end of the day, we want you to leave this place more impressed with Jesus than us.